Welcome to the Wisdom and Wellness Parsha podcast, a weekly Eden Center podcast featuring Rabbanit Shani Tarragon with insights from the Parsha about women's health, relationships, mikva, and well-being. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center that is transforming the mikva experience by educating women how to use mikva as the natural platform it is to connect to women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships. Read our weekly blogs on a range of fascinating topics, download our wonderful publications, learn about our Balaniyot and Kala teacher trainings, and support us at theedencenter.com. Rabbanit Shani Tarragon has been a leading force in women's Torah learning and in Eden's work, and we are honored to combine two of her passions, Torah education and empowering us about women's health and well-being. Without further ado, Shani. Shalom, this is Shani Tarragon on behalf of Eden's Wisdom and Wellness for Women Parsha podcast. I've truly missed sharing words of Torah with you and look forward to special parshiot such as this week's Parsha, Parshachmot, where we can share words that truly relate to wisdom of women and the wellness of women, taking care of ourselves both, Rifuat HaNefesh, Rifuat HaGuf, and what better Parsha then to take a look at the Nashim Tzitkaniot, the righteous women, both in the generation of Mitzrayim, of which Rabbi Akiva says, We're going to take a look at these special women who literally planted the seeds of redemption, inspire Moshe Rabbeinu to go ahead and save by virtue of the fact that they save him. The woman who, in defiance of Paro's decree, are going to ensure the survival and perpetuation of the growth of Am Yisrael. Who are these women who till today inspire us, wherein, in the face of even... Today's dangers, today's virus, we can still, as Chazal teach us, model ourselves after the same righteous woman. Because in every generation, because it's the spirit of the Jewish womanhood, the idea of ensuring the health and survival of children that we see in this week's Parsha, that is going to also catalyze Be'ezrat Hashem, the future redemption. So let's take a look at this week's Parsha, which begins with Shemot. Ironically, we're barely going to hear the names of a particular character. As Nechama Leibowitz explains, because the woman that you're going to hear about about and these stories represent the every woman, the every Jewish woman who places at the center of her trajectory and her goals places the survival of the Jewish people. So let's take a look at story number one. We find that as Paro responds and the first person to call B'nai Yisrael an Am B'nai Yisrael after seeing their tremendous demographic growth, hey, Paro, he responds by saying, Oh no, pen your be. What will happen if they grow even more in numbers? When an invading army comes, they may ally themselves with our enemies and then leave the land, leaving us bereft of their economic investments and their investments in the population. And therefore, he, as the Ramban says, is going to gradually inflict Am Yisrael, oppress Am Yisrael in such a way to thwart their demographic growth. And as the Ramban himself being brought up and raised in Christian Spain, first a wonderful host country, only then to be involved in polemics and oppression, leading, as we know, 
Over a hundred years later, too, at the Spanish expulsion, he understands that anti-Semitism is not bred overnight. It's a very gradual process. So Paro begins with labor laws, literally laws of harsh, harsh work that he hopes is going to break the spirit and the backs of the people of B'nai Israel. And therefore, what does he do? He begins with Sarei Misim. And pardon the more contemporary analogy with his SS officers who are going to knock on particular Jewish homes and take the Jewish men out to work camps. According to the Midrashim, they initially even paid them only to, as we see, even with the harsh work, nonetheless, Am Yisrael are able to still grow both in quantity and quality. And Chazal say as if Paro said, because harsh work does not break the Jewish spirit does not break Am Yisrael from building their homes. On the contrary, we respond to difficult times very often by building more homes, by perpetuating a future legacy, by not getting stuck in the future, in the present, but recognizing that there's a wonderful future that lay in store. And therefore, when Paro sees the failure of stage one of his labor laws, he then institutes stage two, namely the nationalization of harsh labor. Vayavidu Mitzrayim, now all the Egyptians are going to inflict this harsh labor on B'nai Yisrael. And then we find Gezeran number two, the second decree. He once again starts off, as Ibn Ezra explains, with his Mialdot Ivriot, with the Sarei HaMialdot, the midwifery officers. These are going to be women either Mialdot et ha'ivriot, either Egyptian midwives who are in charge of also the births of the Hebrews, or Mialdot ivriot, or they are Hebrew midwives as an adjective. Wherein, Shem Hachat Shifra, Vishem Hashinit Pu'ah, and just as he began stage one of his labor laws with his covert officers in a surreptitious manner, so to here he's going to begin with the Mialdot, with the officers of the midwifery, trying to keep it as clandestine as possible. And what does he ask of them? When you give birth to uh, the, the help the Hebrew women in their birthing process, and you see them on the birthing stones, if it's a boy, kill him. The embati, and if it's a girl, the chaya, then you can allow her to live. And the Medrash Tanchuma explains that this goes back to the days of Aram and Sarai, when we already saw the promiscuity of the Egyptians, wherein they are going to be immersed in these Hebrew women. They want as many Hebrew women as possible for them to take for themselves. And yet, what do these midwives do? Whether they're Egyptian, whether they're Hebrew, instead of seeing and killing, they see and they respond with moral sensitivity. They respond, as we know, with your atelukim not necessarily with fear of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rather, just as Abraham, Akas, Avimelech, there's no sense of morality. There's no ethical guideline. And yet these Mialdot, they respond in defiance of Paro. They respond with morality. They can kill these baby children. And instead, not only do they not perform what Paro had asked of them, but they go out of their way as Rashi explains, to keep the children alive, whether that means more nourishment, whether that means to make sure that they do well on their APGAR test, whether that means more CPR, whether that means nourishing them with more love. And Paro, when he sees that the Mialdot have not obeyed his command, he accosts them, and they answer, and they answer,
because the Hebrew midwives, the Hebrew women, sorry, are not like the Egyptian women. You yourself, Paro said, if it's a daughter, then she shall live. You don't know how much life these women have. These Hebrew women have so much life. They have such a desire for life. They have such a desire to bring life. They undergo fertility treatments just for the sake of bringing children. They have so much desire for Chayim that even before we get there, Ve'aladu, they have such a desire to bring life into this world that we don't even make it on time for their births. And as a result, in response to the morality displayed, Hashem, Elohim, responds to the Mi'aldot, and he allows for the nation to grow even greater in strength and in numbers. So as opposed to the first set of decrees of the harsh labor, where we see that miraculously, the spirit of the Jewish people is not broken and they're able to, to multiply despite the harsh decrees of Paro and the second decrees of uh, literally the other type of labor laws, the Leida laws, that's where we find it's the Mi'aldot that initiate and HaKadosh Baruch who plays along. You were willing to risk your lives in defiance of Paro. I'm going to make sure then that the people are certainly going to multiply. And when Paro sees the failure of stage one of decree number two, then once again, he's going to nationalize the decree and say, this time, all the children have to go and be thrown into the river, perhaps even the Egyptian children. But there was one more pasuk. When Elohim saw that they, the Mialdod, had feared God, then he had made them batim. Either midwives themselves not having children, Hashem provided them with children. Or perhaps Hashem provided them, as Rashi says, not only with homes, but with illustrious homes of Kuhuna, of Levia, of Malchut. But perhaps it's when they feared God, he, Paro, made the batim. Maybe they were actually punished. Maybe they were incarcerated in Batekela as a result of undermining the decree of Paro. And that's also part of the, on one hand, audacity, but also confidence and defiance that we have in every generation to those who do not respect life. And we see this as we continue within the story in chapter 2 of Sefer Shemot, and we see that similarly, it's not just these Mialdot, but there are other women in Am Yisrael who are responding to the laws, to the decrees of killing children, also, not only with defiance, but going out of their way to keep children alive. As we open up Perak Bet, we hear of an Ishmi Bet Levi, Vayikachet Bat Levi. And that's a very interesting term. It should have said, Vayilach Ishmi Bet Levi, Vayikach Ishami Bet Levi. And yet, what the Torah is telling us is that just appreciate and understand that even if you don't know yet that this woman is Yochavet, she's a bat. She is a daughter. She sees herself as a continuation of the previous generation. And it's a bat who wants to make sure that that continues to the next generation, that she has a bat, that she's going to continue the bayit, keeping in mind that just as a ben is the source for the word binyan, a son builds a house, but the bat is the etymology, is the source of a bayit. She's the one who builds the home. She's the one who's going to perpetuate the values of the home. And we hear that this woman has a son because she's a bat. So of course she wants to continue to have children, but Tera Oto, and just like the Mialdot, she sees and will also do everything in her power to keep the child alive. So when she sees that she can't hide him anymore, she takes a teva, 
in order to save him. Notice the rikus palim, the concentration of verbs that tell us all the more to what extent this woman is going to go to to try to keep her child alive. And it's not just her. It's all the Hebrew women who are putting their children in tevot. And Spielberg expresses this beautifully in Prince of Egypt. As you see, again, all different little tevot, mini little arcs floating on the Nile because it's every mother who is going out of her way in a proactive manner to try to keep her child alive. And his sister, this baby sister, is going to stand from aside to see what will happen to him. And it always bothered me. What does that mean, what's going to happen to him? Doesn't she know that Egyptian schoolboys are going to come home from, from school and... Uh, then probably engage in the pastime of seeing how many baby children they can they can drown today. What does it mean to know what's going to happen to him? She wants to see, but that's exactly it. She has a sense of Ruach HaKodesh or this gut feeling that, no, this child is going to be saved. I'm going to do everything in my power also to save him. And sure enough, as she sees, bat paro, another bat, Another woman who understands what it means to continue a bayit. She sees Bat Paro. Uh-oh, this is the daughter of the one who issued the decrees. And yet Bat Paro also, Vatera, she sees. And she'll also respond with compassion and with morality. And that's when the achot comes back and says, do you want someone to nurse this child? And yes, she brings the mother back into the story. And not only the natural mother, but by the end, Vayigdal Hayelet Vatevihu Lebat Paro. We find it's these women these banot who understand what it means to take care of a bayit. And she's the one who names Moshe. And similarly, we see in the next story, Moshe, who is going to be driven also by the survival, by wanting to keep people alive, is not going to tolerate an Egyptian taskmaster literally torturing a Hebrew slave, and therefore he kills him when he sees that no one else is responding. And ultimately, he's going to have to run away to uh, the Midbar. He's going to run away to the Be'er by Midian. And uh, the Kohen Midian has Shiva Banot, who also understand what it means to build a bayit. And Moshe is going to save them. Moshe who was saved by these women will now save other women. And when the father, when Yitro says, so where is this man? He forget about his nationality, also driven by a moral striving for ethical sensitivity. He says, just invite him home. And by the end of the story, he gives his bat to Moshe and they have a bin. And Moshe, the child who should not have survived, ends up surviving. Surviving because of the deep emunah, the faith, the action, the commitments, the sacrifices that all these women in the beginning chapters of Sefer Shemot, all these women who we see are the ones who really create a home, who allow for the continuation of the home. Chazal teach us that who are the Mialdot, their names are Shifra and Pua. Either the officers, as we said, maybe even Egyptian officers of midwifery. Or as the Malbim says, these are the names given to every, every midwifery couple. And uh, one is a Shifra, one is a Pua. One's taking care of the mother, the other's taking care of the child. And Chazal, as we know, preserve them. Rab and Shmuel either as the mother and daughter or mother-daughter-in-law. And if they're a mother-daughter, who are they? They are the mother-daughter of Perakbet. They are Yochavet and Miriam. Because, in fact, they do have the same personality of seeing and reacting, seeing and responding by keeping children alive despite the decrees, despite the dangers, despite the medical prognoses. And therefore, 
and they're going to be the ones to truly allow for the continuation of Am Yisrael, both physically and in spirit as well. So then why are their names Shifra and Pua? Chazal say, because Shifra, and it was the one to wipe off and cleanse the child, or from the terminology of Pirya, that she allowed for the perpetuation of the Jewish people. Or maybe because Shifra is the one to take care of the mother, and Pua is the one to take care of the child. But Pua, why the name Pua? She is going to literally breathe life into the child. She's going to make sure that the child stays alive. She's going to ensure the health of the child. That's Miriam, who understands how to stand by the waters and the healing powers of waters and understanding how to create children and the survival of children, whether it's by the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu, the survival of Moshe Rabbeinu, bringing him into Bat Paro's loving hands, or whether it's going to be by Kriyat Yamsuf, understanding that this is part of the survival of the Jewish people as well. The one who, as we know, is going to provide the Be'er, the water for Am Yisrael, the basic staple of survival. That's Pua. She also is Mofia. She knows how to demonstrate in defiance both to Taparo, but also the Midras says to her father. For after all, Why do we need the double verbs to tell us that first Amram actually divorced himself from his wife, telling everyone that it's not worthwhile to create a bayit if Paro has decreed that the male children are going to be killed. And she, particularly the bat, is going to be the one to stand up to her father and say, but Abba, Paro is only killing the boys. You're also killing the banot. You're killing the girls. You're killing the ones who can continue the nation. And Paro is only killing an olam hazeh. You're killing an olam hazeh and olam haba. You're preventing us from going on to the next world. And lastly, Paro, he's a Russia anyway. You're a tzaddik, my father. And therefore, even if Paro may kill 98% of the Jewish boys, there still is a, a chance. And that's the chance that we put our hope in. That's the intervention of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, wherein some children will also survive. That's what we learned from Shifra and Pua how to ensure the survival in every sense. And sometimes it means being extremely tenacious, yet sometimes it it means standing up to the reality in which we find ourselves. And that's the the message of the Mialdot. That's the message of Miriam Yochevet Shifra Pu'a, the ones who truly plant seeds of redemption, who teach us in every generation what it means to be a bat, what it means to build a bayit, because we know if we fast forward to chapter 12 of Sefer Shemot, that's where we're going to find the word bayit, just like bat, mentioned eight times, recognizing that the only way to properly leave Mitzrayim is if we're homes, before we're a nation. As we've learned so much from Corona, we have to create a bayit. And who's the one to create a bayit? The bat, even when things are difficult. And therefore, I ask you to join me as I interview Gilat Sachs, an embryologist in Charitza de IVF's unit, where she sees day in and day out couples who come disregarding sometimes the prognoses of doctors who can't explain why there is infertility and they come, and with Amuna and with the proaction of the Mialdot, they are going to undergo fertility treatments to try to ensure the building of a bayit. Gilat sees this day in and day out and is going to share with us some of the beautiful messages that she's learned through serving as a shaliach for HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the miraculous aspect of bringing children into this world. 
just like the Nashim Tzedkaniyot, not just the Mi'adot, Yochebed, Miriam, Chazal teach us that the women would go out when uh, their husbands were far away, working uh, endless hours in uh, the fields and the Aramis Kanot, the fortified cities of Paro. They would go out to them with fish, symbolizing children, and with warm water. And uh, they would make sure that they were still able to bring children into this world. As we see, it's the bat that creates the bayit, and the bayit that ultimately will be redeemed. If we are sensitive to the strength necessary for women to build homes, even in the face of challenges in our own generation, then Be'ezrat Hashem will be zoche as well for Geula, Geula Shlima, Beschut Hanashim HaTzitkaniyot, Becholdor. Wishing you all a Shabbat Shalom, a Shabbat wherein we recognize the Shemot, the names of each individual who is so precious to us, and at the same time appreciate the universal nature of the women of Yisrael who give us hope in every generation. Hello and welcome to all of our Eden listeners. In honor of this week's Parsha, Parshat Shemot, we're going to speak about not only the Mialdot and midwifery, but the miracle behind fertility and the growth and building of Batim in Am Yisrael. I have the tremendous chut today to be sitting with Gilad Sachs, an embryologist in the IVF department in Shari Tzedek Hospital. Gilad, how are you? Oh, Hashem, I'm great. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. It <laughs> is wonderful you. to be here with you. And our listeners may be hearing our voices slightly muffled because we're sitting across the table in our Beit Midrash with our masks on. So, and glad that at least with all the social distancing that we get to talk Torah and science and building homes together. So, uh, can you introduce yourself, please? Tell us what you do in Shari Tzedek. Thank you. So as you mentioned, I work in the IVF clinic in Charitzetic in the lab. I started working there about seven years ago after I completed my master's in genetics at Hebrew University. Wow. And we literally celebrate life. <laughs> you are so or, lucky. Or the art of creation, art being uh, assisted reproductive technologies. Um, when I started working there, my mother would actually call me at the end of the day and say, how many babies did you make today? <laughs> and so as an embryologist, I work with the embryos. Um, we, we don't actually make the babies. We help create them. Uh, it's most definitely a joint effort. If they say, So I have to say there's quite a few more. But That's beautiful. I love how you call it even. I know it's the acronym, but art, right? Like Yitzira. And to the, the Daikanu, the specific acts in involved in creation so yes I feel very privileged to be such a shlicha and involved in this uh, in this create in the creation itself (laughs) really amazing Um, can you tell us a little bit about not just what you do but how this works right what is the process of of IVF and as an embryologist what's your role in in the process of in vitro fertilization so yeah, so what we do in the lab is we basically introduce the sperm to the eggs. Uh, sometimes that's all it takes, and sometimes they need a little more of a nudge. <laughs> um, the eggs are aspirated from the patient's ovaries after she has undergone induction, which is a, a hormonal treatment. Um, 
basically the treatments are to recruit more than the usual number of follicles. Normally, on a monthly basis, there's one dominant follicle. And here, um, we'd like to have more. So up to 20 eggs, the quality isn't affected by the quantity. Um, so as we said, that, that's known as the OPU, the ovum, the oocyte pickup. And at the same time, the semen is brought to the lab and we do what we call hashbachat zera. Hashbacha as an enhancement or a kind of upgrade to what already exists. Um, and then both the sperm and the egg undergo different treatments. And finally, about noontime every day, uh, we introduce them, they meet. That's beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. Um, so after that, we then follow their development. We have, uh, the, the next day we'll check uh, fertilization and cleavages and so on, on a daily basis. Uh, the, and we grade the embryos and score them so that when the day of transfer arrives, which is day three or day five, we're able to choose the best one for transferring. The day of transfer, or the, we call it the Mahmad HaAkhzara. It's like a real, moment, a you know, ceremony. it's a, a ceremony. Oh, nice that Mad Har Sinai. A lot of excitement and I'm sure yeah, it anxiety. all leads up to that. That's right. Um, it's like really a moment, very emotional and exciting. And and we try to make it special. The couple get to see kind of really this, this beauty within. Wow. <laughs> the, um, I think that's actually um, a very important point to make is that, you know, on one hand, when you think about making babies it seems like the most natural thing but in a way um, if you think about the norm it's kind of crazy the, the fact that someone uh, a couple is able to conceive naturally is really a miracle on its on its on its own and um, if you look at the klal the norm it really you, you would think that the fact the chances that this happen ha can happen is just so slim and Really, we should all need some kind of intervention and IVF in a way, and um, and maybe we could, couples that are going through this can actually um, enjoy. I don't think maybe enjoy is not the best choice of words, but um, kind of benefit from this beauty, which is normally within this creation, which usually takes place within, and now is exposed, and we can they can they can be part of it. And we, one of the things we actually do just before transferring, we show the couple a picture of the embryo and That's they can really meet their, their baby at such an early stage. They, we, we joke and say it's the, it's the first selfie, selfie with a C, or Arutza Yeladim, it's the children's channel. Children channel. I love this. Um, and and I, I, I'd like to hope that we can share the beauty that I get to see on, uh, we, we as embryologists get to see behind the scenes on a daily basis. Maybe we could kind of expose that a bit and share with the couple and really be part of this, this process. Gilad, as you're speaking, I have to admit that I have a little bit of kinat sofrim, you know, the, the positive jealousy that Chazal speak about, just hearing how you're so involved in this beautiful schut of bringing bringing children into this world. And I love how you described how it really is miraculous. And even those couples that don't have to undergo IVF, it's so important and imperative that we learn about this process to appreciate even the miraculous nature of when it works without any intervention. 
So uh, can you continue to uh, just tell us a little bit about about once the and once the sperm and the egg meet and you wait how many days did you mention? The, we, the, the following day we check fertilization. The following day already. Yeah, wow. and then cleavage is already day two and transferring can be either day three or day five usually. Day three or day five mm-hmm. and you only re you only transfer mm-hmm. into uh, the uterus only one fertilized embryo. Oh, because they used to fertilize yeah. a few more. Yeah. So why, now, why nowadays um, medicine has really developed, and with with all that, we are n- now the success in IVF is transferring one embryo, which will lead to one healthy pregnancy and one um, live birth. So amazing. So what do you do with all the others? Because you extracted about twenty. Exactly. So they don't all fertilize, and on um, average, about how many? Uh, about eighty percent. Um, oh. And and then they have to also develop properly, as I mentioned before. We score them and like grade them according to the, the way they develop. And um, so you put the highest scoring embryo. That's your back, your first yeah, choice. Transfer, back in. Exactly. Beautiful. And um, and the extra embryos will then be frozen for future treatments. It's funny. The other day. Um, I actually thought a bar mitzvah embryo. Yeah, that's 13 years <laughs> yeah, old. That's 13. amazing. Yeah, it was, that was um, wow. stored in minus 196 degrees in liquid nitrogen for, um, for about 13 years. But that's also beautiful. I'm just thinking about this now. Firstly, that let's say a 23-year-old woman who undergoes this and then comes back 13 years later is really... And really giving birth to a, even at age 35, she's giving birth to a 23-year-old healthy you know, child. The, yes. That's beautiful. And they're really all, these siblings are definitely going to be very close. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. uh, were all extracted at the same yeah. time. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, really, the, it's the, the egg age is what counts. And, and so, therefore, freezing is, is definitely a good way to... To kind of save that time, yeah. Preserve the the healthy healthy embryos. Um, And definitely the healthy eggs of the women. That's beautiful. I must also say that when you were talking about the selfie, again, even though selfie with the sea, I kept thinking about the midrashim that really Chazal talked about in this week's parsha. How the woman, not only the mialdot, but b'schut nashimtit kaniot shayubot tohador negalub ne Yisrael mimitzrayim. Because what would they do? They were basically the first embryologists, right? They would go, they would collect water, they would collect dagim, which was the sign of fertility, and they would bring them to their husbands so that, you know, they would nourish them. Then it says that they would bring them and conceive, and then, and how would they, how would they do this after a long day's work? And so much, I can imagine the frustration, the depression, again, all the couples that come as well. And, you know, you accompanying them, this is really a, 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 a remarkable feat, a, a, a journey. Yeah. And then Chazal say that they would literally take out their mirrors, their marot sovot, and they would take a selfie. I call that the <laughs> selfie, meaning that's the, the same moment at the moment that they're together. And even though it wasn't under the optimal conditions, Right? They had to go out to their husbands who were working in the fields and in the cities, and they would say, look how beautiful we are, right? Mm-hmm. And just as he said, look, look at what we can create. And then the Midrash goes on to say that when it was time to give birth, because of the Gzairut of Paro, to cast all the baby boys into the or they would go to the forest, 
and they they would give birth there. And it says they would be swallowed up by the Adama, like by Mother mm-hmm. Earth. They would be taken care of by a Malach with all the minerals that they needed and all the nutrients until they were mature enough to be transferred. To Isn't that, that's exactly it. Isn't yeah. that beautiful? That's Meaning the, I would say, almost if Chazal knew that, yeah, there, there's the Petri dish. Mm-hmm. That's going to be their, literally, their miraculous mineral, their, their sadeh, yeah, that Hashem is going to save them. It through. reminds me, one of the things that Chazal say with Shifram Pu'a, which is, they would sustain them, right? She, uh, she fresh. That's right. She would literally sustain. And even as you're talking about them, that's exactly our connection to this week's parsha, the Mieldot, Shifran Puam, whether they were Egyptian or whether they were Hebrew midwives, and the parsha named debate. And the Maltham says something really beautiful that they were actually a pair, meaning every midwifery pair was called Shifra and Pua. One of them took care of Misha Peret, one would help the mother and focus on the mother, and Pua, Shemifia, she would take care of the Tinok. And Chazal explained the etymology behind the words. So Shifra is either from the terminology of Pirya Viribia. She would make sure that the nation would be able to develop and to grow despite all the Xero Tafaro. But also Shemisha Peret, as you said, she would wipe away the muconium. But what's your understanding of Misha Peret? What so I, th- um, I remember, I think it's Rashi that mentions that they would um, give them food and water. And That's I was right. always... I was, yeah, so like for me, food and water is exactly that. What One of the things you mentioned, the, the dishes that we use, we, the, the embryos have to be in a medium constantly. And they're literally in these water droplets. <laughs> and we're giving them everything they need, all the food and water they need. Um, and I think just, just imagine that, the first embryologist. <laughs> really, that's who you are. You're the modern Shifra and Pua. Yes, the, uh, the modern midwives and uh, embryologists. And Pua, also, Chazal say from the word, not only she would go out of her way to provide survival for the children. Right? We see it even in the words of the Pasuk, but not only that they shouldn't die, but that they should particularly live. So what do you do? And not to uh, to help, you know, are, is there anything to try to get a higher success rate or, you know, where's the, the pu'a side? Um, there's quite a few answers to that, but one of the things I was actually going to mention um, is one of the things, one of the other treatments that we offer or procedures that we do is called PGD, pre-implantation genetic diagnosing. And... Um, I think it's Rav Shimshon Rafael here. She yes. says that she from would go down on their knees and pray to Hashem that no stillborn should be born and no child should come out to the world with any defect. And one of the things basically we do is we screen the embryos for um, specific genetic disorders if a couple needs this, um, this procedure done. And if they're carriers for a specific genetic disorder, we will then screen the embryos and only transfer unaffected ones so that a healthy child will be born. And I think that's that's exactly that. Um, so That's remarkable. Wow. Do you mind if I ask, do you say a personal tefillah? <laughs> um, it's a very spiritual moment. It's definitely when we um, combine the two, the eggs and the sperm. Um, one of the things we there's two different ways of 
uh, fertilizing eggs. One is the conventional way, which you, you really imagine like a test tube baby where you put a few droplets of sperm on, um, on an egg, 50,000 per egg, um, and then they'll naturally just meet and make their way, the sperm will make its way into the egg. And the other route is known as ICSI, intracytoplasmatic sperm injection, where we choose a single sperm and inject it into the cytoplasma of the, the egg. And at that moment, it's like, it's literally the beginning of life and you see it in front of your eyes. It's really a special moment. One of the things it always reminds me of is like when you, when you tie the knots on tzitzit, you say, B'shem, B'shem tzitzit. Tzitzit. So here we're like, B'shem, B'shem is definitely words that are constantly going through, through our minds. And it's very special to be a part of it. This is so remarkable. And uh, as we were talking about Pu'ah, Chazal gave another definition. Not only was she the one to literally woo the babies and can say the Tzvilot, but also Shemufia, that she demonstrated defiance. Both she told her father, Abba, you can't divorce yourself from Ima. Think also of, of the baby girls. Think of the bad. Think of the bayit. Think of the Olam Haba. Don't just look at, at today, at here and now. Think of the future. Think of the possibilities of children who may survive. And as you're talking about what you do, I'm also thinking about the couples who come in and they really do demonstrate this defiance, right? Whether it's explained or unexplained infertility and they're gonna say, we're gonna do our utmost. We're gonna be, and literally the shifra, the pu'ah, the nashim tidkaniyo to emitzrayim to make sure that we don't get stuck in the rut, the rut of depression and infertility. We're gonna make sure that we do our utmost, all that hishtadlut to bring about more children in Am Yisrael. You mentioned, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> you also mentioned the the, nochechut, the the presence. The presence. And I think that's also a very important point to bring um, to bring up, is that all our work is, is constantly supervised. Um, we have extra pairs of eyes um, because, as you can imagine, <laughs> you have one of the, the most important thing is probably to not mix up anything. And... Uh, things are checked over and over again. Uh, we have I love how you said, though, that the, the sperm makes its way to the egg, meaning they still want to meet each other. <laughs> yeah, they are. It's, it's a very romantic moment. They're you know? physically attract, like, attracted, <laughs> chemist, like with the chemistry, yeah. Amazing, but there still has to be supervision. Chemical, yeah. Um, and so not every, basically every single stage of the process that we, we do um, we have uh, an extra second and third pair of eyes uh, relook and, and double check the names and the color and the ID numbers and all the different things that that we have the markings that we have. Um, so not only do I have to double check everything, I have there's a second embryologist who comes and and you know double checks and at, and in addition we also have hashkacha we have mashkichot which are actually built into the system. That's Which are these women, just like you have hashkacha in Kashrut. your Kashrut in your yeah. local restaurant, you ha- right. there's also hashkacha in, in the process. And um, because of all the halachic um, issues that hasbechali right. that could... 100%. And so Shari Tetek has it built in, right? Other hospitals bring in Rabbanim from Pua exactly. in and order to supervise. Yes, mashkichot, exactly. So in Shari Tzedek, they're already built into the system, and we, as I said, it's a, it's a team effort. <laughs> so. Uh, so 
So it's so beautiful how this week's parsha begins with Elishemot, right? The the names of Bnei Yisrael, Yaakov's children, and Chazal say every shame is important. We have to mention each one, Chaviv and Alav, because Hashem loves each one. And then right afterwards, we hear Ubnei Yisrael, Paru, Vayishertu, Vayirvu, Vayatzmu, Bimaod Maod, that they grow and grow. And I love the way that you're describing, on one hand, the individual treatment, the Hashgacha for each one, and at the same time. Bezrat Hashem, many, hundreds, thousands, again, millions of children. You said your mother asked you how many children, you know, were you able to create? Do you mind if I ask, again, on an average of a year, or let me even just ask, particularly this year, right? This year, I think we felt a little bit of gzeirot, you know, I wouldn't say gzeirot aparu, gzeirot mishamayim, of corona, and so many has, you know, hasgirim and quarantine and bidud, and did this have any effect on the Piria Virivia? Any effect on the IVF department? Yeah, so unfortunately this is, this year was the first time we ever we had we ever had to shut down. Um wow. I we, we work all year round. So I think Tishabav and the Hagim obviously don't give her, but Tishabav is the one day that you're not supposed to make babies yeah, and right. therefore we shut so, down. Wow, just <laughs> for those twenty five hours. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um but unfortunately this year it was it was a very scary moment there where we we had to shut down. It was we were shut down for about two months. Um when they had the first lockdown and um it was it was very scary. Really I like you said it really you really felt the gzera oh <laughs> On these right. these couples, and um, but I do have to say that somehow <laughs> uh, we just um, they just presented yesterday the uh, the numbers, and I think the numbers say it all. Um, we somehow still managed to break the record of cycles in the history of our unit. <laughs> I do not believe it. This we're is reaching over nineteen hundred this How year like cycles this year. Yeah, nineteen hundred. Yes. And I'm in awe. I'm in awe. I really, I, I have tears <laughs> in my eyes. I keep thinking of the Midrash. You know, Paro said, Pen yirbe. And the Midrash says, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Ken yirbe. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that it doesn't make a difference. They're going to multiply nonetheless. I'm going to play a role in this. And then the next story is the story of the Mialdot, where again, that even with the Gzeirot, it's a HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but it's also, if I may say, the women who say, we're not going to let this stop us. <laughs> we're going to come even more by, by the multitudes to ensure the, so the demographic really, yes, growth of like, Even though we had these uh, two months, the two-month break, we really, we still managed to... Did all of you say Shachiyana? <laughs> <laughs> wow, when those numbers yes. came in. It was, it was amazing, very impressive, and Kol Hashem. Um, I, I think we can really see see the light at the end of this whole this whole um, pandemic. But um, one of the things also that I think allows this, I don't know what it was like in other units, because I think worldwide they all all the units had to shut down. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the most unique points um, or things about working in this field in Israel is the fact that we're the only place in the world that treatments are completely uh, or free of charge they're sponsored by the state um for the first two children so there's unlimited treatments um for that really is remarkable uh, yeah up until achieving two children and for pgd it's two healthy children so Mm -hmm. it really is something another um, good reason to make aliyah definitely all of our listeners wherever you are 
Wow. It, it happens. And um, the, the value yeah. of Am Yisrael. Yes, and, and creating a family. And yeah, like I think they mentioned about Shifra and Pua that they had Batim Harbe and Kehunan. Batim, exactly. Batim, so that's yeah, the so reward. This is the place to do and it. If you come here <laughs> and you. Uh, Despite the challenges, again, you come and you involve yourself in in bringing about children, then the reward is vayas lehem batim. Then Hakadosh Baruch will provide you with batim, and batim l'seferet, right? Yes. They had batim melucha, batim kuna, batim levia. Truly magnificent, Gilad. I I feel like I can you know <laughs> sit here together with you and talk about this for hours on end, and I cannot thank you enough for being a, a modern-day Shifra and Pua, really a Mialadid who exemplifies for all of us what it means to be one of the Nashim Tzidkaniyot, not only of the generation of Mitzrayim, but the Nashim Tzidkaniyot B'choldor, Shebizchutan, Be'ezrat Hashem, Atidin B'nai Yisrael, Yigael. Thank you. Thank you. Is there someone in your life that you want to honor? Someone who has helped you out or inspired you? Maybe it's a medical professional or a teacher or a yoetzet who went above and beyond to help you or a yard site or death that you want to mark. Please consider making a donation to support this podcast in honor of a special person in your life. This episode of Wisdom and Wellness was recorded by Shani Tarragon, music courtesy of Shimona Gottlieb and is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback, sponsorships, and support. You can reach us at www.theedincenter.com.